0: Take out your Bible, go to Acts chapter 1, and stand to your feet if you would, and we're going to start a series called The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening. If you're ready, say, let's do it. Acts chapter 1. If you're new to our church, we're so glad to welcome you. Happy New Year. Blessed New Year. Everyone say, shalom. Acts chapter 1. In this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Just so you guys understand, Jesus not only died on a cross, historically, physically, and he rose from the dead, historically, physically. For 40 days, he showed himself to people doing miraculous things. It was a sign and a wonder, and it's how he kicked off this great awakening. Verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me. For John, John the baptizer, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said... It's not for you to know the times or seasons, that of the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I want to talk about the great awakening. I'm glad we just had a testimony because this great awakening is not built on the backs of preachers. It's built on the backs of witnesses. God's not looking for professionals that know how to preach. He's looking for amateurs, people that do it for the love, not the professionals who do it for the profit. The amateurs that do it because they cannot help but speak what God has done in their life. I'm praying that before we're done today, that you, us, we are going to go witness to this world, the greatness of our God, and we're going to see an awakening. Let's pray. God, send an awakening and start with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. What is an awakening? When I came to the University of Florida, God rocked my world. I got revived, I got changed, I I met Jesus. I was forgiven, I was clean for the first time in my life. I I caught my breath. I could feel the life of God. I had a peace. I had a joy that I had never known. There was a, a skip in my step and a joy in my heart and a peace deep inside that you could not put into words. And I was just revived. I was. I was revived. Revive means to do again. To re means to do again. Vive, like in Spanish we'd say vivir, to live. It's to relive. It's to bring back to life, to resuscitate and that happened to me but something happens when god really does something in you 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 want him to do it through you and i and i became a part of this church i actually met god in the backyard of this church a few hours before a keg party that i didn't end up going to and i came to this church on a sunday morning and there was about 12 college students and i was one of them and and it was just glorious, and it was wonderful. And it was, I, I, oh, I, I couldn't even put into words. And I soon found out that I was a part of a movement that had its roots in what was called a revival. It was a revival that came out of Los Angeles, specifically on a street in Los Angeles called Azusa Street. It was a, a revival that was led by a one-eyed black man named William Seymour, who was the son of slaves who had moved to Los Angeles in the hopes of becoming the pastor of a church. And when he preached on that Sunday morning and spoke about revival and the Holy Spirit, they said, oh, no, no, you're not going to be the pastor. And they disinvited him, and he had nowhere to go and no money left because that was his job. And so a couple invited him into their house, and they went inside of their house, and they said, you could stay here until you figure out what you're going to do. They had a small house in L.A., and they had a parlor, and they started to pray every night. And they would pray, and as they prayed, God was moving, and the prayer meeting began to grow. And after about three weeks, it outgrew that house. And then a few weeks later, it outgrew that house. And then they needed to look for a place, and they ended up finding a building that was called the Apostolic Faith Mission that that would would become that. It was a building that was owned by an African Methodist Episcopalian church, an AME church it was built. And they took over this church, and they began to have Bible studies and meetings and the only way that you could sort of describe it in their words was that God came down. Now, we know that God is everywhere, but I need you to understand that sometimes God comes down. While God is in all places and all times, we know that's the case. There are some times when God seems to manifest in very peculiar, potent kind of ways. And they said God visited, God came. And, and this, that put the, bu- the picture back up there because that building ended up packing in hundreds and then even thousands of people. And for three straight years, there was a move of God taking place, 1906 is when this kicks off, led by a black man in the United States of America that had a revival of white people, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, all people coming together, hugging, embracing, giving each other holy kisses on the cheek. This is pre-COVID and pre-Spanish flu. To catch your breath, you had to put your head down on the floor because there were so many people. People would literally be looking in through the windows on the outside, and God saved people, redeemed people, healed people, resurrected people, and sent people. Within three months of this revival breaking out, they were sending people up and down the western coast. People ended up making it in a matter of a few more months out to Chicago and New York City and Florida. I mean, just all over America, Before the year was over, they sent out their first batch of missionaries. Lest any of you believe this nonsense. That the missions movement of the world is some Western American colonialization of the rest of the world. The first, the missions movement in America started there. It started from an African American Pentecostal revival that when they sent out their first missionaries, it was nine black people, four white people that went over to Africa, and it spread like wildfire. Here we are a hundred and something years later, and all across the nation. If you want to see where Christianity is exploding, it is not in Europe. And it is not in America, it is in Africa, it is in Asia, it is in South America, and it started there. Just so you understand, just so you understand what's, what's actually, it was a revival. It was an awakening that shifted culture. If you've ever gone into some Baptist church and they lift their hands, it started there. You ever gone, you've heard of the charismatic renewal? It started there. I know if anyone that went to the Passion Conference and you got all these different denominations, all those denominations 100 years ago said, don't even touch us with that. It all started there. All this passionate worship started there. Started on some slave plantations where they'd worship for hours a day when they had nothing but a Bible. And a slave master, they would send in some preacher to preach uh, some version of the, uh, a distorted version of the gospel, and they'd listen to him and nod their heads. And then they'd bring in the real preacher, the slave preacher, they would preach the whole Bible, and God would show up. And then years later, God shows up there in this place. And it was a revival, and my roots were in revival. My my roots, my roots. My, my, I've, I've just, I have found myself in recent days longing for things that I heard came about from fruit from revivals. And so about a year ago, I started reading on revival again, and I, I had sort of forsaken some of that part of my story because you know, over time it's like, you I, I want it, you to establish good theology, and so you, you do, and you get good theology, and you add, you want to, okay, there is a God who is sovereign, and there is something to good theology, there's something to do in good um, exegesis and hermeneutics and biblical interpretation and, and handling the scriptures rightly, and, and there's all of those things that are good, but I have found that you can be very accurate and still be very dead. And I'm in a world where we're watching things. That are troublesome. And, and I have heard and I've read in the history of these revivals, the stuff that we want relief from right now was answered in revivals, was answered in awakenings. That when God would send an awakening, God would move in culture and change it and listen, and I'm not against us taking natural means. I'm in favor of science, and I'm in favor of, of doing all the things that we do, and I'm in favor of good politics, and I'm in favor of, of just laws, and I'm in favor of uh, addressing oppressive structures. What I'm telling you is, when you just look at history, we have seen that when God sends awakenings, things change. We need an awakening again. And over this past year, I've just been, I mean, I've read every book I could find on revival. And there's bath water to be thrown out. But there is a baby that we have thrown out with the bath water. And I want the baby back. I'm praying for an awakening. I'm praying for a great awakening for the fruit that only comes there. We're, the reason we're going into the book of Acts, and we're going to go verse by verse through the book of Acts for a number of months, is because the book of Acts... It's the chronicle of the first great awakening, the original great awakening. We're going to look at the early church. We're going to apply it to us now. We're going to look at a lot of awakenings in between. And I'm praying that you're going to say, God send an awakening, start with me. God send revival, start with me. So, what is an awakening? There's a lot of definitions I've read about revivals. I've heard in, during the Great Awakening in America in the 1700s, they said a revival is an acceleration and intensification of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. During a revival, what might take 100 or a 1,000 years happens in a day. Does anyone need some revival in their home, in their life? An awakening, then, would be a time of such intense visitation from God that both Christians and non-Christians alike are affected. Revivals tend to touch individuals and groups. Awakenings affect a whole culture. Let me make it clear. I'm praying for revival in my home and in our church, and I'm praying for an awakening in our culture in the name of Jesus, So how does this happen? Well, one of the interesting things about reading thousands of pages at this point of revival in Indonesia, revival in Africa, revival at the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, revival in the Hebrides in the mid 1900s, revival at the Welsh revival in the early 1900s, revival in South Korea, revival at Azusa Street, revival at Asbury, revivals all around across history. One of the interesting things is you find there's a pattern that takes place, and I'm going to kind of describe this pattern because there is a. Sequence that's consistent in every single move of God. Here it is. The first one is, we're in trouble. Everyone say trouble. People say, uh-oh, we're in trouble. There's, there's a crisis. That's where it starts. When people are in crisis, the crisis gets people praying. People begin, and I don't just mean pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I mean, people begin to pray about the trouble until something happens. When they pray, you find, and again, this has been in every single move of God, there is a sense of, I would call it all, that would lead to repentance. I know no one likes this word, repentance. I'm just telling you, this is like your best friend. If only you knew what repentance does, you would realize, oh, that's my best friend. I know it doesn't feel good when it's happening. To repent means to change your mind, to make a 180, to shift and turn. But I'm putting all there because if someone's already right with God, they have a greater awareness of God and his holiness. And I'm going to pause real quick and let you know God is holy The Lord is holy. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he he said, woe is me. There's a sense in which even the prophets themselves say, woe is me. But then from there, that is when, from there, when enough people do this, that's where you might say there's revival. And when that happens widespread enough and it changes the culture, that's when you get the awakening. Now, that is... The sequence, and I want to kind of break that down, but my goal today is that you are going to be willing to join me and us in praying, God, send an awakening, start with me. Send a revival, start with me. Point blank, what is an awakening? An awakening is, all the way down here, an awakening is when God's kingdom comes and God's will is done on the earth as it is in heaven. That's what an awakening really is. It actually manifests itself in this world with righteousness, with justice, with goodness, with peace. And that's what I'm praying for. And I want you to join me. So what does it look like? The first step is the trouble. There's trouble. I don't know that I need to belabor this point. We're in the middle of a... pandemic right now. I mean, by the way, can we just pause right now? In the name of Jesus, every medical practitioner that's a part of our church or that's watching this video right now, every medical practitioner that because of COVID is just exhausted. Can we pray? Father, number one, we thank you for their lives. And number two, we pray that you strengthen their souls today. God, give them strength. God, we thank you for them. Give them wisdom, give them strength, give them protection. We love them and we bless them in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen on that? We're in a pandemic. I know we don't need to belabor the fact that there's trouble, but revivals and awakenings tend to happen when people get to the point that they say, We need help. I mean, let me just give you a snapshot of our world right now. Like, I'm in a church where we've got a lot of different races in our church. In the last 12 months, I've had parents come up to me and say to me, Pastor Mike, my nine-year-old black daughter does not like her skin. She wishes her skin was lighter. She doesn't like her skin. She thinks she's ugly. And then I've talked to parents that are white that have come to me and said, Pastor Mike, my white child hates their skin. They've been in conversations with people. They hate their skin. They hear that their skin is evil and that they are, the fact that they have white skin makes them a sinful because of their skin, that their sin has, skin has made them sinful. I'm like, what is going on when we're in a world where white kids and black kids in the same church hate the color of their skin because of the world that we live in? Let me make something super clear. Parents, you go tell your children you were made in the image of God. You are beautiful. You are precious. God knit you together in your mother's womb. He gave you a soul that is perfectly made by him, and you need to turn to him, and you need to know him. But your skin, that's just that's the, the covering that God has given you. That's the culture that he's given you. Thank God for any of that. But you are his, and you are beautiful, and you can thank God. You can say, oh, God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It bothers me to live in a world where children are weeping when they look in the mirror. We need an awakening, church. We need an awakening. All the arguments about all the stuff that's going, I am sorry. When people say, yeah, it's casualties of war. I'm sorry. The church needs to get on the front lines again and do another great awakening. Maybe that's where culture is. Then let's go shift culture in Jesus' name. Awakenings begin when someone knows there's trouble. The next stage, though, and, and by the way, that is the context of the first century. These early Christians lived in a Roman empire that was cruel. Slavery was all over the world. There was violence and sexism and, and children. I mean, child prostitution and all. Oh, it was so, trouble. But when people realize that there's trouble, what, the, the next step is people begin to pray. They, when they realize when we're in this trouble, we realize, wait a minute, God, we need you. I, not to belabor the point, not to throw someone under the bus, but at the beginning of the pandemic when um, New York Cuomo made the statement about everyone praying during the pandemic, we don't need the help of heaven. We've got all the help we need down here on earth. With all due respect, I want you to know, we've got problems on earth right now that will not be solved without heaven. Not trying to throw him under the bus. I'm trying to say, we need help. To say, to, to, let me make it clear, we don't got this. Bad English, good theology, we don't got this without God, but we've got a God. (laughs) Step two is prayer. I've really been fascinated by a revival that took place 50 years ago, just about, at Asbury College, 1970. How many of you have heard of the Asbury Revival? Wave at me if you've ever heard of that. It was a revival that broke out, and it was a Christian college that was pretty dead, Drug stuff that's going on and immorality that's happening, different things that are going on. And and uh, there was a chapel service one day that broke out. Uh, It started at ten, supposed to end at eleven, and then classes would resume. And at ten o'clock, the dean who was going to speak that morning got up to speak. But instead of speaking, he he gave what he would call his. This was like a Methodist church. He gave his witness. That's what how Methodists talk about sharing their testimony. He gave his witness. He got up and just gave his witness and was going to sit down and gave the story of, I once was lost and now I'm found. That I was in darkness and I... And I found Jesus, and Jesus found me, and I've never been the same, and he changed me, and he gave me a joy and a peace that, because he died on the cross, and because he rose from the dead, and I put my faith in him, that he's the Passover lamb that that Moses dealt with. He, 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 is, the, he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies, and he is the answer to every soul. And when he did, he kind of, someone turned to him and let him know, hey, if you gave an invitation right now, people would turn to you and turn to God. And and he did, and, and students began to flood the altar and the front area just became this place where students got on their knees and started to weep over their sins. And they knew they were sinners, and, and this went on for a while, and, and at, at 10 o'clock, at 11 o'clock, it, it wasn't over, and so they said, hey, we're gonna... We're going to keep this going for a minute. And just get into, a student got up and gave, a, gave their witness. A student gave their testimony. I've been a hypocrite and I just came up here and I've been sleeping with my girlfriend and I've been doing drugs and I'm, they've been naming all the different things. And, but I'm turning to Jesus and he's real. And, 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 and then they would sing some songs and they would share some more scriptures and then another student would, more st- another crowd of students would come up to the front. Well, chapel did not end at 11 or 12 or 13 or 14 or 2 or 3 or 4. In fact, chapel didn't end... That night. In fact, chapel was still going 24 hours later, nonstop. There were students that continued to file in there. In fact, uh, by Tuesday night, the newspaper, the the um, television newscasters came because they heard what was going on, and they came and they began to take pictures of what was happening, and it did not end on Tuesday, and it did not end on Wednesday, and it did not end on Thursday. By Friday, the news is getting all over America, and students on Friday and Saturday spent their weekends traveling around the, around the country, making their way all the way to, out, to, uh, out to California, making their way down to Florida, making their way from Kentucky, made their way to all these different places, and everywhere they would go, this stuff would just light up this revival would would kind of come and the same thing would happen as people would and there was it went on for seven straight days that this did not end for seven straight days thousands and thousands of people filed in there 24 hours a day with nothing fantastic no there was no concert there was no cool worship band there it was just kind of dorky just dorky ordinary and god showed up but when I read this story, the fascinating thing that I never knew until I was studying in this past year, the hero of the Asbury Revival was a young lady whose name was Janine. Janine was a, just a normal college student, 18, 19-year-old college student, came there and got a burden because she said, wait a minute, there's trouble, this place is dead. We need a revival. This is not happening. And she began to pray. In fact, she got an idea. Her idea was, God. What if I prayed for every student in the student body? Well there was a thousand students, so she went to the registrar and just said, would you just give me a list of everybody's name? They're like, oh, okay. They gave her a list of everybody's name. She put she wrote all of them down in a three-ring binder and she started praying for every student at Asbury by name every single day. This went on for a little while, and she starts doing this, and then she gets the idea. This was a leader. She gets the idea that she's going to go and invite people to pray. She starts inviting people to pray with her. She ends up putting a sign on a door somewhere saying, hey, who wants to come join me for prayer? And so people, I'm praying to God that there's some of you that start getting a passion for, the sky is the limit when God's people start to pray. I want you to believe this. Because the common denominator of every revival that I have seen is that no one bypassed this step. Someone, sometimes it's one humanoid, one homo sapien, one male, one female, one 90-year-old, one 18-year-old that gets a vision and says, God, we have to seek your face. And so they started having some all-night prayer meetings. They began praying, and at one, they did one all-night prayer meeting from like noon till 4 in the morning at one point. There was 150 of them that showed up because it kind of built under her leadership, and they felt like they heard God say, I'm going to do it. That was in February of 1970, and April of 1970 is when the Asbury Revival took off. And if you're wondering what the fruit of that was, there's so many stories that I'll go into over the course of the next few months, but... I just read the story of the 50th anniversary of Asbury, and one of the speakers was Janine. And if you're wondering what her life was like, she had just come flew, flown up from Columbia, South America, where the year before, she had personally led 1,900 people to the Lord Jesus Christ. She said, this fire has remained, and this fruit has remained. And I'm telling you, when revival comes, if you'll play your cards right, you'll never be the same. Mike, what's your point? My point right now is that in the book of Acts, chapter 1, when Jesus said, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, the next thing they do is they started a 10-day prayer meeting. In verse 14 it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They were devoting themselves to prayer. I don't know what revival you need in your marriage I don't know what revival you need with your children. I don't know what revival you need in your body. I don't know what revival you need at your job. I don't know what revival you need where you need it. What I do know is this. If there is trouble and if there is a need, the answer is to seek the face of God. Because those who seek me, they will find me, says the Lord. Call upon him. I'm hoping that this this hub, we open the hub all week long, that it's open from 7 till 9 in the morning. I'm hoping some of you come in the mornings and and seek the Lord. We've got prayer. The front 20 acres that we have on this property is dedicated for nothing but prayer. Come use our prayer trails to go seek the Lord. Every noon hour on Monday through Thursday this room is open with live devotional stuff. I'm praying that some of you might make, even if you're not fasting with everybody, maybe you'll take a, a sandwich and you'll make your sandwich and come up to the church and say, I'll give 30 or 60 minutes in the prayer room. Just a agreeing with everybody, because the answer to this world is a revival that only comes when people have come to this place of repentance, but that only happens when God's people pray. Now, why is that? Well, what I think happens is is that when people pray, there is a sense of of an awareness of God that takes place, That, that when people pray, so like I married a Puerto Rican woman And I love my wife and she is precious and she is beautiful and she's amazing. And I've also figured out that that we don't agree on everything. In fact, we got married and I was very surprised that there are some things that bother her that don't bother me. To which I thought, well, that's easy. Just agree with me. (laughs) And then I discovered after a little while that does not make a good marriage, right? because sometimes i am right and sometimes she is right wisdom means i'm going to probably choose to go her way when it's actually most of the time all the young men that aren't married yet let me just say this as a word of wisdom just go with her right <laughs> unless her name is eve and she say eat the fruit you know unless it's that i'm saying <laughs> other than that you know it's like <laughs> Ruthie rarely does that, though, right? (laughs) And I've discovered that that marriage was about figuring out, wait, you and I don't always agree. Do you know what prayer does? Prayer puts me in a spot where I become aware of what grieves God. I was reading about these, the revival at Asbury. Students would get up and confess in front of thousands of people. I confess my racism and my prejudice. It's amazing that what God will do in prayer, that God will do with conviction, that what God will do in a revival, people that would say, I've been greedy with my money and I've not been sharing with those in need. It's a, you can, as a preacher, trust me, I've tried every guilt trip in the book and they do not work. As a parent, I've tried every guilt trip in the book. They bear fruit for about 48 hours. But when revival comes, when someone gets in God's presence and you learn that there's a holy God who adores you, and when you find out that that holy God is grieved by things that don't grieve you, you start to get convicted. And that leads to this next step of repentance. Because repentance is where you decide, wait a minute, God, you are against some things that I'm not against. That, that you're not like us on earth. Where we're comparing one kind of riot to another kind of, you know, uh, you know protesting. We're down here, we're always comparing, like, one person's this to someone else's that. Weak. When you stand before a holy God, you compare yourself to his standard and you say woe is me like Isaiah said I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. It's wild to me that on Isaiah 6 Isaiah says I'm a man of unclean lips. He lived in a world of slavery. He lived in a world of unrighteousness. He lived in a world of all sorts of injustices and unrighteousness and what he was deeply convicted about was my mouth is unclean. I speak words that are evil. Friends when's the last time you trembled with with conviction because you realized your gossip and your slander and your words displease and grieve a holy God. That's when you're ready to repent. Friends, I want to be convicted of, I do want to be a good husband. I do want to be a good daddy. I don't want to drive past homeless people and my heart is hard. I don't want to meet people that are telling me they're their issues, and feel like, oh, what a small thing compared to someone else's thing. In, in Papa's eyes, in Abba's eyes, in God's eyes, if it matters to you, it matters to him. I want to have his heart, don't you? Yeah. The, the only way to get there is when we pray, and when we pray that when people begin to pray, it, s- something happens, and, and that leads to this awe and this repentance. And, and this is where a lot of people stop, because... I think what a lot of people do in their prayers functionally is they pray, God, I pray for my will to be done on the earth. God, I'm praying for my desires to be accomplished. God, I want my will. But awakening is when his kingdom comes and say it. His will is done. Now this is, And this is the struggle, because what often happens is I, I, I find myself, people tend to want either righteousness or justice. Like, even politically, you'll see some people, like, they're really into sexual morality, or they're really into uh, social morality and equity, and they usually want one of these or the other, and yet the Bible says that the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice is the foundation of his throne. Which means when you're praying for the kingdom to come, that means you've got a king who has a throne, just so you understand. When the kingdom comes, it's righteousness and justice. It's sexual morality and social morality. It is personal goodness and systemic goodness. That when you call out to God, it's greed and porn and human trafficking and abortion and racism and sexism and unfair wages and selfishness and gossiping on Facebook. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because... I think a lot of people, they don't go here, and the key scripture for me in the Bible on this one is 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we will confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if we'll confess our sins. So when I'm describing this all in repentance, what I'm des- describing here is, is a confession. There is a, there's a confession that happens Now, the interesting thing is this word confession, it comes from two Greek words. One is homo, which means same. The other is logos, which means word, same word. To confess is to say the same word. To confess does not mean you say, oops, if I offended you, I'm sorry. That is not a confession. A confession is not to say, yep, I did it. That is not a confession. A confession is is when you say the same word that God says. To confess means you agree with God about your money. You agree with God about your sexuality. You agree with God about other races. You agree with God about the world. You agree with God about your enemies. You agree with God about immigration. You agree with God about, and you fill in the blank, truth telling. To confess, means to bring your heart to a place. In Spanish, we say, estamos en acuerdo. We are in agreement. We're in accord. That is why, I think, what you saw in the Asbury revival, there were many young people that they had at some time said a prayer, but they had never actually confessed. In fact, I won't lie. I'm very burdened for those of you that are in this room, those of you that are watching this either now or down the road. I am burdened for some of you that you said a little sinner's prayer, but you never confessed and agreed with God. God, I pray that you'll do it today. This is one of the steps that happens in every single revival, that, that there is a, a confession of sins. At Asbury, there was confession after confession, and this spread to other places. One of the places it spread to was a place called Wheaton College. In Wheaton College, there was a man that got invited to go out and speak. His name was Pastor Ortland from Lake Avenue Church out in Pasadena, California, where I went to seminary at Fuller. And, and he got invited to speak at Wheaton, and... goes to to Wheaton to show up to preach kind of like Monday through Friday and he said I showed up it was negative five outside it was even colder inside as he got up to preach God's word people just lifted up their their magazines to let him know they weren't listening he was preaching and it seemed like nothing was happening and yet God began to move and by Tuesday night students were gathered all over the dorms talking because their hearts were burning and they started repenting they started repenting and repenting by the third Wednesday and Thursday night of that week, like one of the big influencers on campus got up and said, I've just got to confess to everybody. I'm a sinner. I've been, I've been horrible. I've been, and they made this public confession and, and confession after confession. On one of the nights they had at one of the chapel services that they had that um, began to come influenced by Asbury again, um, they started it at seven o'clock at night and it didn't end until seven o'clock in the morning as students confessed their sins all night long. They were ne- the, the campus was never the same. When Pastor, I saw the... YouTube clip of Pastor Ortland talking about this, and what he described was, he came out like, what was the secret? He's like, my words weren't that great. But back home at his church, his church had decided, pastor, when you go out there to go preach, something's got to happen. We're gonna pray for you 24/7. And so his church had organized for 24 hours a day while he was out there preaching, his church was covering in prayer. They took 15 minute segments, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. And here was the point, revival broke out at Wheaton. The question would be why? And the answer is when they were in trouble, those people prayed and led to repentance and a revival came. I am so praying that there are some 19- and 20-year-old college student females in our church that say, dang it, I'm going to get people praying. I'm going to be a leader. I'm praying for some high school students in our church. I'm praying for some senior citizens in our church that say, okay, wait, wait, someone told me I'm done. I'm not done, Satan. I'm just getting started in Jesus' name. I'm going to launch a revival. You could say, well, where does that come from? It comes off your knees. Even right now, we're in the middle of 21 days of, of prayer and fasting. I do hope that you'll join us in some of that. There's people that are fasting all 21 days. we got people picking some days. I'm, I'm for that. What I want is extraordinary prayer. Join us right now for extraordinary seeking of the Lord, not just to get your individual prayers answered, but for us to become aware, even us as a church. I'm like, Lord, where am I as a pastor? Where am I as an American? Where am I as Mike Pats? Where do I need to? Because sometimes... I find myself in prayer realizing I have grieved God for years and never even repented for it. I just don't want to live there. I want you to have a clean pastor. I want my kids to have a daddy who's got clean hands and a pure heart. I want that. I want to have a church that when people, someone recently was telling me they met one of you guys and said, oh, Pastor Mike, I've just never met someone with such a pure heart oh, it just did my heart so good. They said, someone else told me, every time I meet somebody, they were meeting a people from several of our microchurches and they said, oh, they're, they're just so generous. I was, oh, it made me so happy. I was like, go church, keep doing that. I love that. It just stirred my heart. I'm like, Lord, am I living like that? Like, I, wanna, I want people to say that about me, that when they get around me, they think of Jesus and they smell the goodness of God on the things that we do. This, this happens with repentance. I, I'll just say one more thing because I want to bring this back to justice and righteousness. I'm not talking about pie in the sky, godliness that doesn't touch the world. Charles Finney was a great revivalist in the 1800s. He would do altar calls where people would get on their knees to get right with God and when they got up off their knees, saved and forgiven, even before they got baptized in water, he would have them sign papers of abolition where they agreed to join the abolition movement fighting slavery. Because he said, if you got right with God, now you need to get right with people. And so now that you got this, so what you're gonna do is you are now gonna be, if what disciples of Jesus do is they go fight slavery. So just to give you a context of sort of what I'm describing, I'm not describing a revival that just touches people's souls and doesn't touch the earth because awakening happens when God's kingdom comes and God's will is done on the earth as it is in heaven. And what, what happens in a revival then is when there, the movement of God's spirit comes and in the middle of this movement of God's spirit, that is when, that is when there's a change. That is when things um, at a personal level like, like what we're hearing about in some of these revivals and when that goes big enough, that becomes the awakening. In the mid-18th century, there was a huge social inequality that was in Europe The early days of the Industrial Revolution was taking place and the inequity between the rich and the poor was just huge, it was massive. In France, they had a bloody revolution. But in Britain, something else happened. Historians now know that they say that somewhere between one-fifth and one-sixth of the population of Britain started following Jesus and got converted, saved, born again changed over, light from darkness. Like 20% was converted and, and, and swept into churches. And churches, this is why I'm, I'm bringing this up to you because what the writer of Acts tells us is that you will be my witnesses. That we gotta go out and witness. That, that the way the revival happens is when people begin to go and, and that's really what happens is the revival happens as, as, as people witness. So, so the, the repentance comes when people pray. The revival happens as, as people begin to witness. Now, a witness just means you share what you've seen. Like these, the, these people, the, the problem I'm seeing is I'm meeting a lot of Christians when I ask them, what is your testimony? They don't have one. And if you don't have one, I would be thrilled for you to get one. I would love for you to have testimonies like, like Josh and Anastasia, that were describing what God is doing, like fresh things that God is doing in their life. Because when transformation happens, when, when the awakening happens, when, when this finally happens, the great awakening, let me tell you what happened in Britain. When in Britain, the prostitution was rampant. And one of my favorite realities, I mean, there's beautiful things. Children didn't have to keep on working like they did. And And of course slavery gets abolished and there's all these different things that happen in different moves of God, but one of them was prostitutes. They were everywhere, tons of prostitutes. And prostitutes started making their way into churches and and one of the reporters was interviewing them and asked them, what are you doing in the church? And one of the prostitutes was recorded as telling them this, you know, we, we, we got two problems. Problem number one is, you know what we do, and demand for our services has completely fallen off. Men are not cheating on their wives anymore. They're keeping their pants zipped up. There's no more demand for our services. That's righteousness. That is righteousness. I would love it if all the porn websites had to shut down because demand for them just fell. Wouldn't that be amazing? Number one, people have gotten righteous. But number two, she said, there's one other thing. I've been doing this since I was a teenager. And for the first time in my life, people treat me with dignity and love and respect. No one's ever talked to us like this. And they all go to church, so we figure we might as well join them. That's justice. What's an awakening? It's when God's kingdom comes, and God's will is done, on the earth as it is in heaven. With righteousness and justice, coming together like the throne of the king that we serve. Mike, how do we apply this sermon today? It's simply this. I want you to pray for awakening. I want you to pray this. God, send a revival, start with me. Send an awakening, start with me. And that you already know what that means. You already know that means his righteousness and his kingdom and his justice and his desires and his will. You know know that's what we mean when we say, God, send a revival. But I got to tell you that when you leave this place today, if you have a testimony, I need you to go share it. If you aren't eating today, great. If you are eating and you go to a restaurant, share your testimony with someone there. When you go out, go tell someone what the Lord has done. Go be a witness. You will be my witnesses when the Spirit comes upon you. If you haven't joined us for any prayer meetings ever, tomorrow night we have one. Wednesday night we have one. Next week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the juice is going to be loose. It's going to be an amazing time of prayer. Join us for prayer in the mornings or at noontime. You can come in this place. But I'm just going to end it like this because I was reading this Asbury report and, and there was a judge that spoke at the 50-year anniversary named Judge Wilcott, Philpot. He had been a judge for a number of years and he was giving his testimony of how he had skipped the early parts of the revival because he was out doing his sinful thing and driving his Mustang, getting into trouble and kind of came back in. And when he came back in, he felt the presence of God. In church, I'm not lying. When someone drives on our property, I want them to feel the presence of God. I want cancers healed in the first 30 feet of this property. We have prayed that every blade of grass would be anointed by God on this property. I want you to go to your homes because we pray the same thing in our home. God, when people drive on the Pat's church property, Pat's property, <laughs> when they come into our house, we want them to feel the healing peace of God. Sanctify your homes. And he, dry, he walks up on the, uh, into that place at Asbury Chapel, Hughes Chapel, and, and he was just so convicted of his sins. And he went up to a girl. He said, listen, man, you probably think I'm a Christian. She's like, no, I don't. <laughs> you probably think I'm a Christian, but I, think I, need to, I don't even think I'm a Christian. I, I think I need to get right with God. She said, we know there are four guys downstairs praying for you by name right now. He was so moved. He just got down on his knees and they gathered around him, led him to the Lord. And when I heard the story 50 years later, he's been a judge, successful judge for 50 years. He says, I've been a judge. I've been doing justice and doing law. But in the last 50 years, I have preached the gospel and given my witness in 69 nations around the world. Church, I want an awakening again. But the awakening comes from where this whole thing started. It says, of all that Jesus began to do, of all that Jesus, it's all about Jesus. When Jesus went to Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus was dead. He was dead. And they're weeping, and they're, and they're mourning. And, and he says, hey, your brother's going to rise. And Martha says, I know there's a resurrection at the last day, and I know my brother's going to rise in the last day. He says, no, 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 no. M- Martha, it's, it's not just that there is a doctrine called the resurrection. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. When you come to me, even if you die, you'll never die. I am the resurrection and the life. They're going to put me up on a tree and the tree's not gonna be able to keep me down. They're gonna bury me in the grave, and on the third day, I'm gonna rise again. Church, when we come to Jesus, we come to life. Jesus is revival, Jesus is awakening, Jesus is your healing, Jesus is your forgiveness, Jesus is your second chance, Jesus is your mulligan, Jesus is your do-over, Jesus is your peace, Jesus is your prodigal child coming home, Jesus is everything that you need. There is nothing you need that is not found in him. But if you haven't turned to him, turn to him today. If you are right with him, then join us in praying this prayer. God, send revival. Start with me.